judgment is not the end of the story. God judges his people, but ultimately he brings them back to himself so that they will be a purified people. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning into Working with the Word today, episode number 39. We're continuing our study of the book of Zephaniah, actually wrapping that up as we've been trying to do more of our observation, interpretation, and application, and putting those things into practice. Remember, our big focus in the Zephaniah has been thinking about the day of the Lord, how the day of the Lord is near. We've seen that in these first two sections after we read the book and did some overview in episode 36. And we talked about how we see God's judgment coming in this day of the Lord. It's going to be a very terrible and horrifying day, especially for people who don't choose to repent as he calls them to repentance there in the beginning of chapter 2. We saw last time how God is the God of nations, how he calls judgment upon other people who are guilty of sin, like the Assyrians, like the Cushites, like Moab and Ammon, like the Philistines. We see all these people that God is holding accountable, even his own people and their guilt and their sin. But God's coming wrath on the day of the Lord is not just a judgmental fire that wipes out everything. We see that is also a refining fire. The day of the Lord is going to be a day where there will actually be some joy that's going on. That's what we're going to talk about and think more about today in this final section of Zephaniah. God's judgment is not the end, but it means to an end. It's not the final judgment here, but disciplinary judgment we see for these people. And the people who come to God in faith, who live in faith to God, are going to find him and find this what he has made for those who are faithful to him. Let's see more about that. Let's let Zephaniah, let's let the Lord speak to all of that in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9 through verse 20. Emerson, read that for us to remind us of our text for today. Again, this is Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. For I will then restore pure speech to the peoples, so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with a single purpose. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my supplicants, my dispersed people, will bring an offering to me. On that day, you will not be put to shame because of everything you have done in rebelling against me. For then I will remove from among you your jubilant, arrogant people, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. I will leave a meek and humble people among you, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will no longer do wrong or tell lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will pasture and lie down with nothing to make them afraid. Sing for joy, daughter Zion. Sing loudly, Israel. Be glad and celebrate with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear. Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. I will gather those who have been driven from the appointed festivals. They will be a tribute from you and a reproach on her. Yes, at that time, I will deal with all who oppress you. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. 
I will make those who are disgraced throughout the earth receive praise and fame. At that time, I will bring you back. Yes, at the time, I will gather you. I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, the Lord has spoken. So as we look at this text, there are really two sections to this that Zephaniah ends his book in. And the first of these, verses 9 through 13, he talks about how God is going to gather to himself a purified people. And then in verses 14 through 20, we see God's graciousness described, a gracious God described. So Jeff, when we read through this, what was the first thing that you noticed in this first section God describing his purified people. I see there in verse 9, he talks about all them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with a single purpose. That's immediately conjuring up in my mind Joel 2 language, Acts 2 language, the idea that people are not going to be seeking themselves, but they're going to be seeking the salvation that is found in God, that he is the source of that salvation. What's some things that you notice here in this first section, Emerson? I think one of the first things that I noticed is just how different it is from the rest of the book, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in chapter one, we talked about how God describes the day of the Lord being a day of gloom and destruction and desolation and, you know, flesh is going to be poured out like dung and those kinds of horrifying images. And at the end of the book, we have a very different picture that's going to be a day of rejoicing, a day of celebration. God is going to take his people, and like we were talking about in the introduction, he's going to purify them so that they will call on him and serve him with a single purpose. And so Zephaniah takes the same language of the day, the day of the Lord, which was talking about judgment to begin with, and he uses that here in this last section. He uses that same terminology, that day or at that time. Now it's a day of salvation. And this is This is like a lot of the prophets. A lot of the prophets kind of intermingle the themes of judgment and salvation together. Sometimes in in a single verse, you'll have one part that talks about judgment and the very next breath, you know, salvation. And so Zephaniah is a good kind of picture of that. And so you see how judgment is not the end of the story. God judges his people, but ultimately he brings them back to himself so that they will be a purified people. And we're seeing that group of people is maybe targeted or focused upon God's people, Judah or the family of Abraham, Israel, but it's not just them. We get implications of remnants from other nations as well. Just as God has pronounced judgment on those nations too, there's going to come a time when those nations will be called to be a part of his people and will come to worship him. We have in our notes verse 10, from beyond the rivers of Cush, my supplicants, my dispersed people will bring an offering to me. Maybe part of that is the remnant that's been taken to captivity, but some of that might also be people who have come to faith in God through these outside nations. We see maybe more specifically in verse 13, the remnant of Israel will no longer do wrong or tell lies, and that's pretty specific to God's own people. But like you said, these are the people who are going to be purified by God, purified through this day that comes, and they'll have this new relationship with the Lord. But it's not just that we want to say that they're different. We want to notice what is it about them that's different. So what are some things we see that they're going to look like? Yeah, we just made a list of 
the characteristics of, of a purified people in verses 9 through 13. God's people are going to have purified speech in verse 10. They're going to serve God with a single purpose, which is also in verse 10, which is interesting because earlier in the book we saw that, that God's people were trying to serve idols as well as trying to serve Yahweh God. And at the end, he makes the point that that's no longer going to be a thing for my people. They're going to serve me and only me with a single purpose. In verse, uh, verse 10, they're going to bring an offering to me. Later on, they're not going to be fearful. They're not going to be put to shame for their rebellion. They're not going to be arrogant. They're not going to boast. That was one of the things that God judged the nations around Israel or Judah for doing, is being taunting or being boastful of how they were being treated or their victories and how Judah was getting lower and lower. God says, none of that. You know, you're going to be a humble people. You're going to be meek and you're no longer going to tell lies. It's one of the things that God pointed out against his people. You do wrong and you're no longer going to do wrong. You're going to no longer tell lies. So much in here about what God's judgment does to purify us. He purifies us through and through in our speech, in our humility, in our hearts, our loyalty to God. And so that's what a purified people looks like in this passage. And, and as you pointed out, it's not just the remnant here that's going to be purified. It's going to be all of God's people. They're going to come from all the nations. Mm-hmm. And that takes us kind of to the whole story of the Bible when God told Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Zephaniah is not sure how this is going to be fulfilled, but all of the nations of the earth at some point are going to be have the opportunity to be called God's people as they are purified. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see, or we want to make sure people are going to notice and see, I think really God wants us to see as we're interpreting this section here. Look at all those contrasts of what do people look like after this day or on that day, these purified people like you mentioned, compared to some of the exact opposite of things I've said about the nations and even my own people before. So as you go through Zephaniah and maybe as you read the book again, make sure you look for those direct contrasts that God is making about the people. So we see that ultimately God is the hero in the section. God is the one doing the work. It's not the people purifying themselves and them pulling up their own bootstraps to make themselves right. If anything, if they're going to pull on their bootstraps, they're going to pull themselves down farther and farther. Mm-hmm. seems to be the trajectory we see from the people here throughout the book. And so it's God who is the gracious God who helps them in this last section, verse 14 through verse 20. So what's the first thing you observed here about this section in verse 14 through verse 20? Probably the same thing that I noticed for the first section is, <laughs> is, is just how different it is. Um, Verse 14, sing for joy. Zephaniah has said nothing about that already. I mean, all of it has just been mourn and weep and repent and put on sackcloth and ashes because a day of destruction is coming. But now he says a day is coming when you can rejoice. And this isn't just, you know, kind of pretending to rejoice, kind of plastering a smile on your face. This is a joy that is genuine. It's it's true. It comes from within. And the reason for that joy is in verse 15. The Lord has removed your punishment. Earlier in the book, he said, all of these bad things are going to happen to you because you have sinned against me. 
And here he says, I'm going to take away that, and then you will be able to rejoice. And several times in this section, he says, I will, or he will, speaking of God. And the point is that God is acting on his own initiative to forgive an unforgivable people. You know, if, if you were just to take really this, these last two sections in Zephaniah and just read them by themselves, you'd think, oh, this is a pretty nice people that he's talking to. But when you put it in context of the rest of the book, these are the same people that he's talking to who he has blasted earlier for their sin. And he has been patient with them. He has rebuked them. But he's saying to them that a people is going to come from you that's going to be purified. Um, And so God is doing this because of his grace. These people don't deserve it. He will do this. And this is what we notice about God here. He, He judges sin but he's also gracious to forgive sin. What an awesome thing that we learn about God here. Amen, for sure. What do you notice in here? I noticed the very last sentence of the book in verse 20. It connects back to, if I remember right, the first thing you noticed about what we saw in chapter 1 or that first section. Oh, yeah. We talked about how this is the Lord's declaration. Ultimately, when Zephaniah speaks, he speaks for God. And at the end of this hopeful message that comes out of this latter section of the book that is very rightfully gloom and doom and judgment, here at this section, God also says, I've spoken about this too. And all of those I will, he will statements need to be backed up with the fact that God is saying this. This isn't Zephaniah just making up some... It wouldn't be great if God did something like this. Sometimes the prophets in the Old Testament did do stuff like that. I think I remember Jeremiah dealing with some of that. You know, He's talking about the destruction of Babylon, and other prophets, quote-unquote, of God are saying, nah, that's, that's not going to be that bad. Here's mm-hmm. what's going to happen with Babylon. Zephaniah, you know, the, the temptation for maybe any human prophet is to tell the people what they want to hear. And Zephaniah is telling people good news. He's telling them what people maybe want to hear but he's stamping it to make it even more impactful with thus the Lord has spoken. And so God is giving this message of hope and of joy and of this great joy that we're going to have going forward for the people who pass through this day. Yeah, and that's a really important point because any prophet that is speaking a message of goodness, you know, good times are ahead, that's such a easy message to listen to and hear. But you're right, Zephaniah is making it very clear that this is actually a good day that is going to come by God's power, by His grace. A couple of details that that I noticed in addition to that is in verse 15 and in verse 17, he says, the Lord is among you, or in the New American Standard, the Lord is in your midst. And I think that's interesting because Earlier, God could not be among his people because they were so sinful. He was saying, I'm going to give you up to captivity, and I'm going to cause destruction and judgment to come upon you. But now God is returning to them. And so forgiveness restores this relationship where God can dwell with his people once again. Not to jump ahead too far to kind of some New Testament connections, but I wonder if if this is kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus, because yeah. we know that in Matthew, he was called and fulfilled the passage in Isaiah, God with us. 
And, you know, the reason Jesus came to be among us is to forgive us, to bring us back to God, to reconcile us to God. And that's what God is, is doing here. He is reappearing among his people to forgive his people. What a great thing. And, and then another thing that I noticed, not only do we see the people of God rejoicing in verse 14, in verse 17, we also see God rejoicing. It says that he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. And that really is a beautiful picture when you think about God and how he delights to show grace and how he delights in his people coming back to him. He himself sings, just like the people are told to sing in verse 14. Right. He sings whenever they're in fellowship together. You know, God doesn't want to destroy his people. God doesn't want to give them up. It has been necessary to do that, to purify them of their sin. But once they're purified, and once God has taken that sin and cast it aside, he is so happy that his people have come back to him and that he can be one with them again. And it, again, it's just kind of a remarkable end to the book because most of the book has been so dark and God kind of this expression of anger on his face, which has been justified. Um, but it ends with this expression of God's happiness and his joy in his people. Yeah. I, I hope I'm remembering the sermon correctly. Uh, Ryan Joy, who preaches in Fort Wayne, where my parents go, did a lesson on all of the minor prophets. And I, if I remember right, when he talked about Zephaniah, as he got to the end, he talked about that we're going on a lion hunt, or maybe you've heard I've gone on a bear hunt song. Yeah, going on a bear hunt. Yeah, and you know, have all those things of tall grass or a river or a cave or whatever, but you know, you're determined to go on this bear hunt, I guess because you're a child and you don't, <laughs> and it's just a song, right? But as you're going through those things, you know, there's there's always those parts of the song where you know, we can't go around it, can't go around it, can't go over it or under it. You have to go through it. And I, again, I'm we're going to link to Ryan's sermon, and if I miss it somewhere else, maybe Ryan will correct me and help us, help us to find the right illustration there. But the point is that the people are going to go through this great day. They're all going to go through what happens with the the coming day of the Lord and how it's near and all of those things that are there in chapter 1 and 2 of the destruction, of the disasters, the horrifying things. People are all going to experience that. It comes to, as you go through it, though, what's going to be on the other side. I think that's what we've seen. Hints of, we've talked about that some, I think, in our recent two episodes, how this judgment isn't total or final. This is a refining process. And so the point of that illustration, me bringing up that, hopefully it's the right illustration from that sermon, is that idea of, yes, you know, we are going to maybe go through this, and it's a, a difficult thing that we go through, but it leads to that great joy of us seeing our God. And like I said, watching him experience that joy. It's, it's going to be great to, to have that joy ourselves, but think about how awesome it is to look at God and to hear his voice sing and to know that he's singing because he looks at his people. He looks at you know his people, his remnant that's been gathered to him, and that's why he's singing. That's, I think, hard for me to understand, knowing that maybe I've been on the first half of Zephaniah, or the first two parts, to see how come a time those people who put faith in him are going to be the source of that joy for him. Yeah, and that's such a, a relevant point of application because when we look at trials, a lot of times there's nothing that we can do to stop them. 
And even relating to Zephaniah, their trials came upon them because of their sin. And when we deal with the consequences of our sin that are painful, we can't stop that. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We can't go around it. We've got to go through it. And if we press through that with faith and trust, then it's going to lead to that that glorious end of being purified. And we'll be able to see more of God's grace. We'll understand more about God's grace when we come out of that. We'll be able to look on back on that and say, yeah, God was dealing with me. He was disciplining me. He was chastising me. But he, because he loves me, he wants me to come out stronger with more faith in the end. So I think one of the questions we have to think about is, as far as interpretation is when is, is this restoration going to take place? When is it going to be fulfilled? And one of the things that, again, is common in the prophets is this kind of layer fulfillment. Sometimes there will be an immediate fulfillment, but later on we'll see another greater fulfillment. We see that in some of the promises that God makes to David about his son that was partially fulfilled in Solomon, but ultimately look forward to Jesus. And I think you see the same thing going on here. I think there's an immediate fulfillment in the context when God's going to bring his people that have been scattered into captivity back. He mentions in verse 18, gathering those who have been driven away from the appointed festivals. So in Babylon, God's people could not keep those festivals by coming back to Jerusalem. God says, I'm going to bring them back. Um, they'll be able to enjoy that. We see that fulfilled in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra. Um, but we also see language that would point us to a bigger fulfillment, a future context, especially when it talks about all the nations gathering together, you know, all the dispersed people coming together. He mentions in verse 19 how God is going to save the lame and gather the outcasts. And that kind of reminds us of what Jesus quoted in Luke chapter 4 when he quoted from the book of Isaiah, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, how he brought good news to the, the poor and the oppressed to heal the lame and to receive the outcast. That's my paraphrase. But it just it shows us that there may be a, a bigger fulfillment, a bigger picture here than just the return of the captives. This is about deliverance from sin, and there's no greater fulfillment than that of that than in Jesus Christ. And so I think there's really two kind of fulfillments here. One of the restoration of the people to Jerusalem and the land, but ultimately our deliverance through Jesus and what he does for us. When we started doing our discussions, you and I on our own, we were trying to look for, is there like a place in the New Testament where Zephaniah is directly quoted? You know, sometimes we can do that if we're looking at prophets Mm -hmm. or Old Testament books, we'll say, okay, well, you know, someone specifically points back to this story or says as Micah spoke or as Isaiah spoke, like Jesus does there in Luke 4. But we're seeing those ideas for sure as well. Just as we see ideas about God rejoicing over those who repent and those who are reconciled to him. We think about Luke 15 when we see those first two parables even. They're talking about, you know, here's something that is lost, whether it's a sheep or whether it's a coin. And when that's found, there's great rejoicing. Or whether it's a worthless son who's you know, wandered away from his father, when that son comes back, there is great rejoicing. That's the same message of Zephaniah. Now, if we stopped at chapter 3, verse 8, we wouldn't know that part of the message. We would just see the doom and the gloom, and we would think, 
well, you know what? Those people are getting what they deserve. And the people who are continuing to live and rebel and sin, they are going to get what they deserve. But the people who do reconcile themselves to God through what he does, they're going to be this source of joy, just as, you know, when that son comes home to his father, he, you know, has, think doesn't it talk about him weeping kind of we get that picture of tears of joy yeah. and kissing so he him runs to him and he kisses embraces him embraces him, him. Yeah. yeah i don't know if that's exactly i think we've sometimes mentioned before surprise surprise i don't know what the judgment day is going to look like i don't know if god's going to individually do that to all of us or if he does all, that all at once or if he you know what that but the idea i think the picture is there about god's rejoice in those who come back to him that's definitely a connection we see thinking about how that relates to some things for today as we think about our own lives and coming back to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I remember when that conversation we had about, you know, what, are there any places in the New Testament where Zephaniah is quoted? And I think we drew a blank. It's like, yeah. we can't, we couldn't find any, you know, specific passages that were quoted in the New Testament, but so many themes are there and so many overlap, you know, just ideas that, that are present. And, and one more, you, you mentioned this earlier in verse 9, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be restored. And that, again, takes us to Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost about Jesus, how he is the Lord, and he quotes that passage from Joel, and maybe in the back of his mind he's also thinking of maybe this passage, calling on the name of the Lord. Anyone who calls on him will be saved regardless of what nation they come from, regardless if they are if they are forgivable or not, <laughs> regardless of what sin they've committed to rebel against God, if you call on his name, he'll 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 accept you and he will he'll be gracious to you if you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's let's do that as we think about Zephaniah. Let's call on his name. Amen. So our challenge as we've come off of this short study of Zephaniah today in just these few verses, and even a fairly short book over these past total of four episodes, we want to challenge you to read through Zephaniah one more time, write down one thing you've learned from the book, maybe something that you've been challenged by or you need to grow in from our study of this short book. Emerson and I did something like this. This was originally Emerson's suggestion from like back in the pre-planning days, even before episode one. We talked about times it can be good to write down what do you know or what do you think you know about a passage or a book before you get there? My list was based on some somewhat recent knowledge. Emerson, I think you mentioned even in our first episode of Zephaniah, your page was blank. So let's encourage our audience. What's one thing you learned from Zephaniah over the past few weeks we've been working with this book? I think one of the big things that stands out to me is how much I see God's character revealed. And you know we've talked about these two really big ideas about God, his judgment and his anger, but also his mercy and his grace and how they how they are, are a part of together they're a part of God's character. They make up his whole character. Um, and I see that in Zephaniah, you see just a small glimpse of that. and I, I don't fully understand God's character and how those two go together. But I do know that he is patient, and I do know that he is gracious. He does have anger against sin. But I think just the biggest thing is just seeing more of God's character and being challenged to contemplate that more and be more okay with saying, yes, he has anger. 
And yes, he is a gracious God, because I see that's what he says about himself in this book. That's just one thing that I uh, got out of it. What about you? What's one thing that you learned? I think one thing that I really took away from this study was from chapter 3, verse 8, therefore wait for me, and the idea that we just need to to wait on God. And that's a phrase that comes up in the Psalms, and I kind of get this idea from Job as well. There'll be times where God is working in things. I'm remembering, not doing a good job remembering my Bible order. I can't remember if Habakkuk looks like it's before this. Habakkuk has a similar idea, right? Wait Mm -hmm. for me. And waiting for God sometimes means him doing things of either not the way we would think we would do it or would expect it to be done. But that's, I think, the encouragement of why God spends two, almost a half chapters, talking about the coming judgment. He ends all of that with, wait for me. I am going to do these terrible things, and there's this hope. It's not one or the other. It's the both. But as both exist, you've got to wait. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. And, and even just saying that now and saying I learned that, I'm going to you know, someday in the future study Zephaniah again, and I'm going to have to relearn that probably. And remind myself that every day of, I don't know exactly what God is doing up there, as we kind of sometimes talk about, not that God is just quote-unquote up there, but, you know, we're thinking, what is God doing? And I just need to continue to, to wait on Him and trust in Him. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to Working with the Word today. We hope this study of Zephaniah has whet your appetite for studying other books of the Bible that you're less familiar with. And speaking of which, we're crowdsourcing right now for our Difficult Passages series. So if there's a verse or passage that you've struggled over and you want some answers about what it's about, you can send it to us. Let us know what it is on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Send us an email, and we'll do our best to tackle it in a future episode. In the meantime, we're excited to share a couple of interviews over the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned and stay in the Word. As always, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Thank you.